the most memorable interviews and listener calls from the week that was on Fight Back with Libby Snymer. Welcome to the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Good afternoon and welcome to the Sunday edition of the best of Fight Back. More of what you want to hear from the week that was. On Wednesday, former Principal Secretary to Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, Gerald Butts, had his say on the SNC-Lavalin affair when he appeared before the Commons Justice Committee in Ottawa to counter damaging testimony last week by Jody Wilson-Raybould. The former Justice Minister testified that Butts was among a group in the Prime Minister's office who tried to pressure her into going easier on the Montreal engineering giant in its bribery case. Just after Butts appeared before the Commons Committee, Libby Snymer spoke with commentators John McEtishan of Bradgate Research Group, Jason Leader of Enterprise Canada, and Patrick Gossage, a longtime Liberal strategist. I'm not sure that the cabinet shuffle story is going to be the one that grabs people's attention. I think the the real uh, nub of this is is uh, Butts' endless denial of the uh, you know consistent and uh, pressure that was put on on Jody Wilson-Raybould, according to her own testimony, and the different uh, interpretations of their own meeting. And he says there's more than one way to look look at a thing. And and I mean, I think he spent a good deal of time not demolishing, for sure, her testimony, but questioning her interpretation of events. And I think the tone was good. And uh, but I don't think it moves the the needle a lot. And it's it's a it's now. Even more, he said, she said, and that's not good. Jason Leader, what do you think? Were you moved by his testimony? It's hard not to be moved personally by watching him sort of, this has really hurt him greatly, and I, and I get that. And I think what's hard to, to understand, I think what we've, you know, what we're seeing now is it doesn't change the substance of the discussion, which is you've got a woman who felt like she was pressured. You've got a dude and a number of dudes that are saying, we didn't pressure you at all. We were just trying to persuade you. Well, where have we heard that before? I mean, it's, 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 we've heard this story all sorts of different times in all sorts of different ways. And I think the explanation doesn't get past the problem that they've got, which is they're fundamentally, it's ringing untrue to people. And they're sort of saying, okay, but you know, you've got two senior women that have quit the cabinet now. There's not, not much you can say about it other than the facts do speak for themselves. John McCutishan, I mean, one thing I, I have to uh, take issue with Patrick and he's saying he doesn't not sure if that the whole cabinet shuffle explanation is going to be what rivets people I think it might be because uh, on top of everything people are saying well well then she was demoted from cabinet because of this and that I think clinched it for a lot of people how do you see it John yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I tend to agree with uh, Patrick that you can't give a cabinet minister a veto over switching a position or moving. I mean, they get to say yes or no. I, I would be shocked if uh, ever in the history of a cabinet uh, anyone ever you know, told their premier or their prime minister that this is what I want and I'm going to get it, and you can't change it. It is more informative in why she she was offered something, but frankly, I found that the most shocking part so far, because offering her Indian affairs, uh, I mean, wow, that's like, uh, or Indigenous affairs, that's like mind-blowing, you know, that, that he didn't realize how inappropriate that would be for her to be offered that. That's a new level of the tone deaf 
on top of the narrative that the liberals and the prime minister has created, which is women are to be believed in every instance, and that he is the biggest feminist in the country. And that's part of the problem here. Prior to him going out there and and well-establishing that as his brand, this story, I think, would have played out very differently, and certainly under any other prime minister. The problem is that he raised the bar that what's, what you're bumping up against is practical politics, practical governance with artificial um, measures that, that are causing havoc for them today. Where do we go from here, John McIntyre? The reality is you want the story to stop. You want it to go away. And and what are they willing to do? And, and that was the thing missing. And when Butt started his testimony, that was part of what he did. He, he tried to protect the prime minister, protect his party, and uh, have this thing end as fast as possible by taking as much uh, fire out of it as, as could be done. Is there anybody else who's going to step out of cabinet? Not likely, but if someone else did, if somebody else uh, in caucus moved, uh, that, that's where uh, things could become untenable for the prime minister. But I just don't see that happening. I just see this continuing all the way to the election. Pat Gossage, uh, you think it'll go away if the Prime Minister apologizes? Well, I think that'll help a lot. I've got my fingers crossed. And then, you know, the other thing that I think it's well to remember is that the the opposition, the official opposition, overreacted with, you know, saying, call the RCMP for God's sakes. And They've said it again. And, you know, <laughs> you know I, I wonder if, in the end, Trudeau isn't going to win the election, but, you know, uh, the official opposition is going to lose it. I mean, that's something that I think we're all thinking about just a little bit. <laughs> that was Libby's panel of political strategists, Patrick Gossage, John McEtitian, and Jason Leader. You're listening to the best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. I'm Jane Brown. On Thursday morning, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau addressed the nation from the National Press Theatre in Ottawa a day after his former principal secretary testified before the Justice Committee. Gerald Butts delivered a very different version of events over the SNC-Lavalin affair from former Justice Minister Jody Wilson-Raybould. But did the Prime Minister strike the right tone? Libby was joined by political strategists, one liberal, Patrick Gossage, and one conservative, Melissa Lantzman, so we could get their take on Trudeau's talk. He said that he would maybe come out and apologize, or at least people in his office maybe floated that idea. And I was under the impression that the PM would do the smart thing and try to put an end to the story, uh, especially ahead of, uh, of a very big budget that they have coming out. And I thought that press conference was appalling. Um, I don't understand how anybody thought or, or what they thought that might achieve, but it certainly didn't achieve putting the story behind us. Patrick, how did you view what he said this well, morning? I mean, I think, you know, we're going to disagree on this whole business of who's credible and whether... You know, and I've been saying from the beginning, I think, that she has a very big edge on credibility just because of who she is, her background, and the way she presented herself. I think that credibility, uh, after Butts and Trudeau, is showing a few signs of weakening. And for me, who worked in the PMO, uh, the fact that, you know, she never reached out to Butts or Trudeau with her, you know, growing unhappiness is really totally unexplainable. You know, 
I worked with Jim Coots. He talked to cabinet ministers all the time. There was no cabinet minister with a grudge or a grump or who it's grumpy that didn't reach out to the principal secretary and tell him. I find it unbelievable that she didn't reach out, frankly. And she, and you know, Butts claims to be a very good friend of hers that, you know, they had dinner together and everything. Why didn't she reach out? You know, or so I don't know. I mean, there's something wrong there. That's for sure. And Trudeau confirmed that, you know, he regretted greatly that, you know, she didn't tell him and, and he thought all along, and he made that very clear that she was open to, uh, you know, to changing her mind or to, you know, at least looking at the prosecution situation in a new way. And, you know, and then, and Butts said much the same thing, that it was only after she'd been demoted that it all became clear that she'd been, you know, really pushing back and, and really unhappy with the pressure that she was under. So, you know, I don't know. I think, is this woman a hero or not? I think probably she remains more credible than, than the PMO just because of who she is. But I think over time, there's going to be some questions about her own uh, view of events. And I think Trudeau's perfectly right that in a domestic dispute, which this is rapidly becoming like, you know, there are different views as to how conversations worked out, you know? I mean, this is really like, oh, she was upset. Why didn't she tell me, you know? And now we're divorced. <laughs> <laughs> Melissa, with this government, apologies are us. He's on his way to Iqaluit to make another apology, but he apologizes yeah. for things that he was clearly never responsible for. But when it comes to him, he's being pig-headed, I think, is, is the right word. Am I wrong, Melissa? No, I think you've touched on something very important. I think it's easy to apologize for uh, for the country's wrongs in the past or what you deem uh, had been wrong, um, you know, done by by politicians that held your role or held uh, senior roles prior to you. But when it comes to apologizing uh, for your own actions, it takes a really, really big person. And I, you know, I, I agree with, uh, with, with the different storyline being presented. And I actually thought that uh, Mr. Butts did a, did a, did a service to, uh, to the liberals with his testimony yesterday, but it's still a, he said, she said yeah. uh, issue. And the, the point, the point of that is, is as soon as Jane Philpott, that was the next, minister, the minister yeah. of the treasury board, um, resigned, it became, it was no longer a question of the facts of the SNC file. It became a, a, a crisis of leadership for the prime minister. And if I were a wobbly member of the federal liberal caucus who was told this morning that, you know, the, the prime minister was going to come and put this to bed, I would be deeply disappointed today. And if I'm looking at my, uh, you know, my ability to get elected in the next election, I'm, I'm questioning whether I should hitch my wagon to uh, to the prime minister. Patrick, do you think uh, it will go away soon? As it gets more complicated and as it dominates the airwaves as a kind of a, a scandal that isn't that isn't really a scandal. It's not a scandal. It's really it's Melissa's right. What it really is, is a is a it's a it's a descending, as you'd say in French. It's a, it's a reduction of Trudeau's image, a big reduction in his positive image. And, you know, until he can rebuild that image, it's going to be very serious for, for liberals across the country. And um, it's, it's only Trudeau can rebuild his image, and he hasn't done it yet. So there you are. Maybe he'll do it in the next weeks. Who knows?
That was liberal strategist Patrick Gossage and the VP of Public Affairs at Hill & Knowlton Strategies, Melissa Lansman. You're listening to the best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. On Wednesday, senior investment advisor Alan Small of Alan Small Financial Group with Hollis Wealth dropped by to give Zoomer investors some valuable advice. With markets such as the TSX and Dow Jones heading back to all-time high levels since their climb began in late December, Alan shared his best guidance. When I look back, I readjusted the way I was thinking somewhere around the first week of January. And um, interesting, you know, towards the end of last year, the markets were falling. We, many of us knew that a lot of it was based on what was happening in the the political world. And, you know, for myself, I didn't know how long that was going to last. So playing defense seemed to be a lot more appropriate uh, in December, let's say. And it was, uh, I think, the first week of January where jobs data was reported for the month of December. And the U.S. reported over 300,000 jobs were created. Here in Canada, we, I think we grew by about just under 10,000 jobs, but we had grown a lot of jobs uh, previous. And so that got me thinking that, you know, I, you don't really see recessions when you're growing jobs by that much. When you see an unemployment rate as low as it is in both countries, when you see growth still happening. And so... At that point, I said to myself, this is overdone. The market is pricing in what it thinks could be a recession coming down, down the, down the road, not in the not so distant future. I disagreed at that point and I went from a defensive standpoint to a more of an offensive. So going from buying utilities, telecoms, pipelines, perhaps to buying tech, banking, et cetera. And I, you know, it served my clients well. We, you know, I guess the rest is now in history. You know, the first two months of this year have been fantastic. The market has bounced back significantly and back near its all time high, roughly, I think, just within 5% on both sides of the border. Okay, but uh, I mean, it seems to be human nature that for most of us who are not professionals and who maybe don't have such strong stomachs that when things are dropping, we pull back uh, instead of buying low. And now that things are going back up, people want to jump back in, but you'll be buying high. That's right. And then, you know, buy low, sell high, right? I guess that's the the old saying that everybody knows, but how many of us can actually do it? How many of us have that iron stomach to buy when the media and the newspapers, TV, everyone's saying that there's doom and gloom out there? How how can you be a buyer? And I think if one can be a contrarian, buy when those are, are fearful and be fearful, I guess, when those are greedy and the market's going up, uh, famous Warren Buffett saying, I think that is the best recipe for success. I think that is how individuals make money over time. Mm-hmm. Have you changed? You say you've changed from defensive kind of stocks to offensive. So what are you looking at? Well, a great question. And, and so I went from, you know, basically taking a more uh, a defensive approach, more cautious approach to looking for diamonds in the rough. At that point, beginning of this year, there were a lot of stocks that were trading at uh, earnings multiples that were in the single digits. And we're still seeing some of those opportunities till this day. And so we went from, or I went from, you know, not really paying attention saying, okay, well, something is cheap, but maybe it can go cheaper to now saying, or to back then saying, it's now cheap. I think it's now going to turn around. And I guess got a little lucky in terms of on the political front. We started to hear a lot more positive news out of the U.S.-China trade talks, which I think has helped tremendously. And this market has really taken off. But make no mistake, I think until a deal happens between China and the U.S., which really affects everything right across the globe, in my opinion, 
This market for now, I think, is sort of range-bound, kind of taking a wait-and-see approach. So we're back near the all-time highs that we saw last fall. What's going to take us to get through these high levels again or these old highs? I think it's going to take a trade deal from China and the U.S. to break through these, uh, I guess, these previous highs. Is there anything that we should do in terms of our investing ahead of the election? I'm not so sure anything at this point is necessary to do um, at this, you know, looking ahead. I think the election is still a little ways away. Yes, it's, it's, I guess, from a political standpoint, not so far away. But I think the markets, keep in mind, our markets here move more so with what happens in the United States or let's just say outside of our borders versus within. I think our dollar is heavily affected by what happens uh, within Canada, whether it's interest rates or whatnot. But our stock market, because we are such a large exporter to the United States, the United States politics, the United States economy probably affects our stock stock market a lot more. And so I think we need to continue to look to what's happening in the U.S., and obviously the China-U.S. trade negotiations. That's going to be a key event. Can they get a deal done? If they do, I think you'll see stock market here and in the U.S. go higher. That was Senior Investment Advisor Alan Small of Alan Small Financial Group with Hollis Wealth. You're listening to the best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. On Thursday, Premier Doug Ford's friend, Toronto Police Superintendent Ron Tavner, withdrew his name from consideration to become the next OPP commissioner. Tavner's appointment sparked a huge controversy involving accusations of political meddling by the Premier in police matters after the prerequisites for this job were changed, apparently to accommodate his friend, Ron Tavner. John Burnside, a former police officer and Toronto City Councillor, stopped by to share his perspective on this tricky situation. I think the NDP call for an inquiry is a little over the top. Nothing, he, Tavner ultimately was not appointed or, or did not take the position. So I think it's a, it's a done deal. Uh, I mean, sure, Ford could have had the power to do what he wanted to do, but obviously the optics were terrible. And, you know, there's a history there. It's not simply that he was appointing someone that he thought would be good for the OPP. This was a longtime family friend, and, and many would allege a protector of Rob Ford. So there's a whole, this whole sort of idea or this notion that, and this, these are all allegations, let me just say that, that Ron Tavner was protective of Rob Ford and the Ford family, transplant him into OPP commissioner role, and you, one could expect more of the same. And I think that was ultimately the concern, the legit, legitimate concerns that people had. You know, I think the fact that they changed the uh, the parameters under which to to pick a chief was the most problematic of all. Look, there are problems with the OPP, uh, but to say that Ron Tavner was the only person that could fix them and he was only going to be there on a temporary basis anyway is a little bit of a uh, a stretch. I think what you need in a police chief these days is someone who um, can modernize the department, but also uh, still be seen by the rank and file. To, to have their back. And that's a really special person. Maybe Jennifer Evans from Peel might fit that role. Ron Tavner was largely seen as a, as a good old boy. And my uh, brother-in-law, who's now retired, loved Rob, Ron Tavner. All the, all the sort of the, the cops, cops, they loved him. And so I could see how the rank and file would appreciate him as their commissioner. That said, 
you know, policing has changed quite a bit in the last 20 years and will continue to change. And I think that for the good of the department, the personnel and the province, we need someone uh, that who uh, can encompass both those uh, attributes. Well, he's he's still in active policing. And Mark Saunders, the chief, uh, just announced that he's going back to 23 Division from whence he came. Right. I mean, he's got a long history there. And uh, I don't, you know, it's it'll be up to him to decide when he uh, retires. But let's be clear, the the head of a, a local division, which is a, I believe it's a superintendent, that's the rank now, is is quite a bit different than a chief of police, right? Because the head of the division looks out for their little uh, fiefdom, but also can really be uh, fighting for his or her officers. Whereas the chief of police, there's a lot more politics. You need a lot of political acuity. And I think that's why one of the parameters is they wanted someone who had chief of police experience. So it wasn't just a lopsided affair. But if the premier is your bud, maybe you don't need so much political acuity. (laughs) Or maybe you do. (laughs) Or maybe you do. What's next for finding an OPP commissioner? Yeah, and I'm not sure exactly how they're uh, or what they're going to do. It would seem to me with all the problems with um, with suicides within the uh, department and the low morale that they really need to go outside of the service. And I think I don't think as a city we're great, or as a province, we, we're not great at looking at best practices around the world. There are other jurisdictions, the UK, the United States for that matter, who have probably a lot more experience or at least varied experiences that we can tap into. So I don't Where think we... United States. <laughs> well, I mean, no, but in terms of policing, I mean, not not the South, but well, look look at the look at the uh, the the chief in Chicago. I mean, this guy he has a heck of a, a job, and he is cleaning up the 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 force. I'm just saying that they have experiences of a lot a lot more varied experiences than we may have in Canada. But, you know, take the UK then, take Scotland, what, you know, take, take wherever you want, take Europe. I'm just saying we don't always have all the answers. There are a lot more progressive uh, jurisdictions who have faced these problems. And I think in the States, a lot of the jurisdictions, we just, we hear about the bad stories. We don't hear about the good departments and we don't hear about uh, the progressive nature of some of the departments and what they've done to actually uh, move the service forward and keep the rank and file uh, motivated. And that's what I'm talking about is finding someone who actually has experience uh, cleaning it up, cleaning up the problems within the rank and file, but also cleaning up the, the political issues that exist. And, and uh, I think we're going to have more political issues in Ontario. That's former Toronto police officer and city councillor John Burnside. I'm Jane Brown, and you're listening to the best of Fight Back. Fight Back with Libby Snymer brings you comprehensive coverage of the news stories that interest you and your reaction to them on the phones. We've gone through the audio. Here are some of the best calls of the week. Clay in Ajax phoned to share what he thinks should happen next to get us through the seemingly never-ending SNC-Lavalin scandal. The obvious thing for them to do is have let them have a, a proper investigation of the whole matter. Why is this dragging on so long? Why, why do they try to postpone the investigation? You know, you break the law, you break the law. The law says that if they're involved in corruption, then they can't be in any uh, government job for 10 years. That's, that's the law, then why change it? Diane in Toronto phoned to express her frustration about how Justin Trudeau is handling the SNC-Lavalin affair. You know, he continues to lie. He continues to insult our intelligence. And he continues to show his ignorance of the situation. 
I, I am just so upset with this man. I, I, I wish he would just get off the airways and whatever. But he's not making the situation any better. He continues along the same vein. He needs to go. And now, Fightback's Knockout Call of the Week. Great calls this week, but the winner of the Fightback Knockout Call of the Week comes from Paul in Woodstock, who explained why he's disappointed with the way former Justice Minister Jody Wilson-Raybould has been treated. What possible reason would, would, would Jody have to fabricate something? I honestly believe she is a woman of great integrity, and she's being disrespected big time. As far as I'm concerned, they're muzzling her as much as they possibly can. And why this deferred prosecution? You break the law, you pay the consequences. You can't pay the consequences, don't break the law. It's that simple. That does it for this week's Best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week, phone us noon to one weekdays at 416-360-0740 on Zoomer Radio. AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. Or if you have a comment, email us at fightback at zoomer.ca and follow us on Twitter at Fightback Libby. I'm Jane Brown. Join us again next weekend when we'll round up the best of Fight Back. You've been listening to the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown on Zoomer Radio. Produced for MZ Media Limited by Michelle Saunders, technical producer Justin Eacock, executive producer Moses Neimer. 